Love Talk Radio. Welcome to Truth Be Told Radio. This is Melissa. I'm sorry about last week I missed because um, I wasn't able to pay for the show in time. And also before that, um, I was tired, so I slept more. So sorry about that. Um, but I'm back. And this is John MacArthur with the beauty and blessing of forgiveness here on Truth Be Told Radio. The following sermon is by John MacArthur, pastor, author, and the Bible teacher with Grace to You. If you've never contacted Grace to You, we want to send you a free booklet by John called Found, God's Peace. It's all about helping you defeat anxiety and know true lasting contentment. Request your free booklet by writing to peace at gty.org. That's peace, P-E-A-C-E, at gty.org. Offer good in North America and Europe through December 2017. And now, Unleashing God's Truth, one verse at a time. Here's grace to you, Bible teacher John MacArthur. Now, I want you to open your Bible to the book of Philemon, and uh, you can check the index if you're not sure where it is, or you can find the book of Hebrews, which is larger, and back up one. The book of Philemon. Now, we go through a lot of studies, a lot of theology, a lot of doctrine, a lot of exposition of Scripture here. We major on sound theology and sound doctrine, obviously. But this is not a doctrinal letter. This is not a letter that has some kind of a systematic outline of theology. This is a very personal letter. In some ways, it's perhaps the most personal letter in the New Testament. And there is not a lot of theology here. In fact, there's really not any theology here that's explicit. All of the theology is behind the letter. It is theology, obviously, that the Apostle Paul knew and understood and taught. It is also theology that Philemon knew and understood. And it is also theology that Onesimus, the other character in the story, knew and understood. The underpinnings of this marvelous little letter are all doctrinal and all theological. And the great theological truth here is the truth of forgiveness, the priority of forgiveness. Not talking about divine forgiveness, but forgiveness by believers to others. The forgiveness that God calls us to grant. We are commanded in the Scripture to be forgiving. And we laid out for you last time and the time before, some of the reasons why we forgive. We are told in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. We are told by our Lord to forgive not seven times, but 70 times seven times. And we are told that forgiveness is a priority, and there are many reasons why. Let me just rehearse what we've already learned. Here are the principles behind forgiveness. One, it is not murder only that is forbidden by the Sixth Commandment. Sixth Commandment says you shall not kill, but it is not murder only forbidden by that commandment because our Lord explained in Matthew 5 that if you hate your brother, you are a murderer in your heart. So anger, hatred, bitterness, malice, vengeance, 
revenge, and unforgiveness, all manifestations of sinful selfishness, dishonor the Lord. Secondly, we learn that whoever has offended you has offended God greater. And God forgives, and will you not forgive, who are less offended and less righteous than God? If God, the most offended and the most holy, forgives, how can you, the least, not forgive? And thirdly, we learn that whoever does not forgive will not be forgiven by God. Matthew 6 tells us that, that the Lord will forgive you if you forgive others. Fourthly, we learn that whoever refuses to forgive will not receive the love of the brothers. Whoever refuses to forgive will not receive the love of the brothers. We saw it in the parable in Matthew where the brothers come around the man who wouldn't forgive and they essentially report him to the king, kind of an illustration of discipline. They want such an unforgiving person dealt with in their fellowship. And then we also learn, fifthly, that if you don't forgive but seek revenge or hold grudges or desire that evil befall someone, you have usurped the authority of God. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And if you are the one who wants vengeance, it is a kind of blasphemy for you to elevate your pride to the point where you usurp the authority that belongs only to God. And then sixthly, we learn that the absence of forgiveness renders you unfit for worship. If you have not forgiven someone, go away from the place of worship, make that right, and then come back to worship God, our Lord said in Matthew 5. And then just to give you one final lesson uh, for at least tonight that we are reviewing, your injuries and the offenses against you must be considered the trials that strengthen you. The injuries and offenses against you must be considered the trials that strengthen you. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. They produce strength. So this is the practical theology of forgiveness. And we laid all of that out. And all those principles basically taught by our Lord, all of those principles were known to Paul, they were known to Philemon, and they were known to Onesimus, who is the slave in the story that we'll get to know. The pinnacle of forgiveness is the example of forgiveness given by our Lord. The greatest act of treachery done against anyone was done by human beings against the Lord Jesus, and He said, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Even though they were doing what God wanted done, it didn't lessen their culpability. So we have then in Scripture principles of forgiveness and a model of forgiveness in our Lord Jesus, another model in Acts 7 in Stephen, who being stoned to death after preaching a sermon ending with the gospel, the Jews stoned him to death and he said to God, lay not this sin to their charge. There's an example of forgiveness in the most horrendous acts of evil and treachery against an undeserving soul. Now again, Paul knew all of that theology. He understood all of that. 
and so did his friends. That divine panoply of reasons to forgive underlies this letter. Because Paul is writing to Philemon asking him to forgive. He doesn't go over those principles. He assumes them. He doesn't even use the word forgive, but it's clear that that's what he's asking for. His appeal, however, is not to theology. It could be. His appeal is not even based on his own apostolic authority. His appeal is to love. He goes to the highest level in his desire to see Philemon do the right thing. Just briefly, the story is this. Philemon had the church in his house, the church at Colossae. He was a somewhat wealthy individual. Most of the church were slaves or poor free men, not many noble, not many mighty. The lowly, the base, the nobodies, they made up the church. Many of them were slaves. He also had a slave in his house who was not a believer, Philemon did. His name was Onesimus. And Onesimus did um, what essentially was a crime. He uh, took something from Philemon, his master, and he fled. He was a runaway slave. That was a crime punishable by imprisonment and even occasionally by death. Onesimus ran to lose himself in the great city of Rome with its massive population and its anonymity. However, in the promises of God and in the purposes of God, he runs right into the Apostle Paul, which wasn't an easy thing to do because Paul was a prisoner. But he ran into the Apostle Paul. Paul had been given some liberty, we know, but he was a prisoner, if not in a prison, the whole time he was there in a house. However he met him, he met him. And upon meeting the Apostle Paul, Paul gave him the gospel, he received Christ, he was converted, he became a brother to Paul, and now he was a brother to Philemon back in Colossae, whose slave he had once been and who he had robbed and from whom he had fled. So Paul writes this letter back to Philemon, puts it in the hand of Onesimus to deliver to his former owner his former master. Now, in the introduction, which we already looked at, verses 1 to 7, we have a, a kind of typical introduction by the Apostle Paul. And then in verses 4 to 7, in particular, we looked at this last time, he talks about the character of Philemon. I thank my God always making mention of you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints and I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I've come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through your brother. And I told you last week, I, I don't know of a, of a more explicit commendation of a person by the Apostle Paul than that. This is a remarkable man. And Paul is reminding him of his virtue to put him on notice of what Paul has a right to expect from him in terms of forgiveness of this runaway slave who's coming back. Paul knows Philemon. Paul had basically founded that church. Paul knew the home of Philemon. He knew 
Philemon. He knew his wife, Aphia, and he knew his son, Archippus, who was also involved in ministry. So Paul is writing, and first of all, he does what he loves to do. He says everything good about a man, which essentially sort of forces him down the path of obedience to maintain the character that Paul knows he possesses. Now, having done all that, we come to verse 8 where Paul gets into his point. And I want to work through this. It's, it's different than most texts. I want to go slowly through these verses, at least down maybe from verse 8 to uh, 18 if we can do it. And I want you just to see this very warm-hearted personal conversation. So let's see how he starts. Verse 8, Therefore, based on who you are, based on the fact that you are a man of character, you are a man of faith, you are a man of knowledge, you are a man who honors Christ, you are a man who has brought much joy and comfort to the saints, their hearts have been refreshed, you are a man of love, all of this because of who you are. Though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. This is just a, a very wonderful way to motivate Philemon. He says, look, I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper. I have apostolic authority, and I can use my apostolic authority because that apostolic authority is mine because of Christ. My apostolic authority came directly from Christ. My commissioning came from Christ. You all know the story in Acts 9 on the Damascus Road. It would have been right, he's saying, and I'm confident enough to have done it, to order you to do what is proper, what is anakon, what is fitting in the Lord. And by the way, that same word is used in Colossians 3.18 where it talks about wives submitting to their husbands for it is proper, for it is right. In other words, this is the divine order. The divine order is that wives submit to their husbands and the divine order is that you submit to apostolic authority. That is a divinely ordained order. So he said, I, I could have commanded you, I could have used my apostolic authority, that would have been perfectly acceptable to order you to do what is proper. And then verse 9, yet, for love's sake, I rather appeal to you. Paul has a relationship to this man that is essentially a relationship of love. If you go back to verse 1, he says to Philemon, our beloved. The word brother is added. It's in the original, to Philemon, our beloved. In verse 7, he talks about how this man has refreshed the hearts of the saints because he has brought so much joy and comfort in love. This is a man who loves. This is a man who's known for his love. This is a man who loves Paul. This is a man whom Paul loves. And there's no need to command a man like that. So Paul says, I appeal to you, parakaleo. That's the verb form of paraclete, which is the term used to describe the Holy Spirit as the comforter who comes alongside. Parakaleo, kaleo means to call, para, alongside, to come alongside, 
and appeal, to come alongside and encourage, to come alongside and exhort. Now, forgiveness is mandatory. It's demanded in the Scripture. It's commanded in the Scripture. Paul knew it. Philemon knew it. Onesimus knew it. He could have commanded. He had the authority. He had the right. It was proper. But Paul chooses the path of love. And I think we want to always remember that this is the distinction of Christianity. We speak the truth in love. And look, Philemon is not a sinning brother. He is not someone who is racing down a wrong path and needs to have himself brought up abruptly and jerked and turned around and spun on his heels and sent the other way. He's not a man who needs discipline. He's not a fleshly man who needs the threat of commands. He's a spiritual man, and he's a man of love. He loves, and he's loved, and he's beloved. So the reference to authority is just, and this is so interesting to me, just gently placed there for a brief moment and then pulled back. It is a reality, and it lurks in the background if necessary. But Paul wants to move quickly to love, to warm Philemon's heart, to feel the love that they share, to feel the love that Philemon has experienced in the church and from the church. And Paul has a couple of ways to uh, sort of elicit this love. Very interesting. He says this, go to verse 9. Since I am such a person as Paul the aged, please be loving because I'm really old. You just don't hear that from the Apostle Paul. He, he throws his weight around in commands and demands and strong exhortations. He rarely ever cries out for sympathy. Since I am such a person as Paul the aged... And by the way, the word for aged there is presbytes, from which we get presbyters or bishops, which essentially means older men, older men, sometimes used for an ambassador. But it essentially is a term for being older, being aged. Is Paul really aged? Well, relatively speaking, yes, at the death of Stephen... Back in Acts chapter 7, before Paul's conversion, he was a young man, and Scripture says he was a young man. Now, these many years later, he's in his 60s, but he's old at 60. He's really old at 60. He may not have been much older than Philemon. We don't know for sure, but Philemon was old enough to have a grown son who was in ministry. But Paul's years were certainly difficult years that increased the aging process. For example, in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us this. He says this, I have been in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep, that is in the ocean. 
I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there's the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches because who is weak without my being weak, who's led into sin without my intense concern. You would say that he hadn't lived his life in a way to ensure good health in his old age. Everything in his life was contrary to surviving very long. He even says to the Galatians at the end that he bears in his body the marks of Jesus In other words, all the scars that he had were intended for Christ. Christ wasn't around, so they placed them on him instead. Painful, strenuous life, deprivation, without food. And when he did have food, it was often horrendous prison food, injuries, persecutions, and even heart-sick, anxious thoughts about his churches and about his own life. This tender glimpse of Paul the aged is to pluck the heartstrings of Philemon a little bit and make him feel sympathy for Paul and thus excite love toward that sacrificial apostle who had, by the way, led Philemon to Christ. Yes, Paul was the one who led Philemon to Christ. Now he adds this, for a little more sympathy, end of verse 9, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I'm captive for Christ. How can Philemon possibly ignore a request like this? After Paul said everything he said about him in verses 4 to 7, extolling him to the skies, and then after Paul says, I have every right to tell you to do this, to command you to do it, but I'm going to appeal to love because you're a man of love, and I'm going to ask you to respond to me because of all that I've suffered and am now suffering. It's sort of like I just need somebody to love me right now and to show that love. And what is he asking Philemon to do? What is he appealing for? In a word, he's appealing for him to forgive Onesimus. Now, the culture wouldn't have forgiven him. There would have been just punishment for his crime. It was a crime to be a runaway slave because slaves had value. It was like stealing, and no doubt he took things when he went, and that compounded his thievery. Paul wants Philemon to forgive this slave, and he sends the slave back to Philemon with this letter and also Tychicus with the letter to the church at Colossae, so that the book of Colossians, as well as the letter to Philemon, would to be read in the church. The church in his house is mentioned back in verse 2. Now, here's how, watch Paul spell out what forgiveness looks like, okay? This is really very instructive. Watch Paul spell out what forgiveness looks like in three steps. Step one, this is action. Reception. Let's just call it reception. Reception. Verses 10 to 14, let me read it. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, 
whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything, so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. Just a marvelous set of comments. I'm appealing to you. I'm appealing to you to receive Onesimus back. And with him comes my very heart to tell you how much I love this man and how much I need him. I wished to keep him with me for the sake of ministry to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. Can you imagine someone newly converted out of paganism who was a slave ministering to the apostle Paul? Whatever it was about Onesimus was remarkable grace that God had poured in and through him that benefited Paul. But I wouldn't do that, verse 14, without your consent. I, I don't want to do anything so that your goodness would somehow be by compulsion rather than your free will. Now, all of this is about reception. He knows that Onesimus is repentant. How does he know that? Because he's back. He knows that he must have been transformed because he's back. He knows there's a relationship that he has with Paul and he's now a believer because that's the reason he's back and that's the essence of the letter. Now, there is a kind of forgiveness that we must give even to those who don't seek it, okay? There is forgiveness we give even to those who don't seek it. That's why we forgive 70 times 7. People aren't going to come back to us and keep asking for forgiveness again and again, but we keep forgiving. But this is something different. This is how we respond to someone who seeks forgiveness. And here it is. Forgiveness begins with receiving the person. I don't want to see that person. I don't ever want that person in my presence again. I don't want to go near that person. I don't want to make any space in my life for them. Don't think I'll ever receive that person again. I don't want to talk to that person. No. When the offending person seeks to be forgiven, the first thing you do in the act of forgiveness is to receive that person. A personal reception, a willingness to close the gap, a willingness to cross the chasm, a willingness to heal the wound, to bring the person back into relationship. Onesimus qualifies for that. And as I said, that doesn't happen in situations where you forgive someone and they don't want to come back and they don't seek that forgiveness, but we forgive anyway because it's wrong to hold bitterness and a grudge and vengeance and hatred and anger in our hearts. Verse 10, I appeal to you for my child, my child, another endearing term, Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment. 
it was clear that Onesimus had repented because he was there in the presence of Philemon. The scene is very dramatic because as Philemon reads these words, there stands in front of him Onesimus. He has done the most dangerous thing, but the most righteous thing. He has come back humble, penitent to face the man that he had wronged. Paul is asking in the letter, but Onesimus is asking for forgiveness in person. Paul softens the blow of that confrontation by prefacing the name of Onesimus, verse 10, with the words, My child, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment. Like Timothy, like Titus, and like Philemon, this fugitive slave is Paul's spiritual son. Paul was a human instrument God used to save him. Now, when he says, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, he doesn't mean that apart from the grace of God he was begotten. No. He means that he is his father in the sense that he dispensed to him the gospel by which the Spirit of God gave him life and salvation. Paul identifies himself as a spiritual father in other places as well. So repentant Onesimus is standing there. He's humble. He's in the dangerous position of having stepped right back into the consequences of his crime. He is looking into the eyes of the one against whom he committed that crime. And he comes as a forgiven sinner. He left as merely a slave. He comes back now as a brother in Christ. He has been transformed. Verse 11 tells us about that transformation. Who formerly was useless to you. This is a play on words. Onesimus means useful. Onesimus means useful. By the way, Onesimus is a very common slave name. So it may have become a nickname. Maybe good slaves were just called useful. And bad ones were called useless. It's almost as like it's a nickname rather than a given name. And nobody cared about the family of a slave anyway. Onesimus, meaning useful, indicates perhaps something of the fact that he was a useful slave, but he became useless and now is useful both to you and to me. Through the transformation of the gospel, he has become more useful than he ever was before. Useful became useless, but he has become useful through the transforming power of God in the gospel. God has changed him radically, radically. In the letter to the Colossians, which would have been delivered at the same time in chapter 3, we read this in verses 22 and 23. Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. So the fact that, listen, the fact that Onesimus was coming back as a runaway slave and needed to be received was, in a sense, restoring, listen, the master-slave relationship. 
It was restoring the master-slave relationship. And if Onesimus wondered about that, all he had to do was read the other letter, which he would have read to the church, in which the instruction from the apostle is, Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters and do it with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Do it heartily as for the Lord. So look, this does not obviate the slave relationship. He is telling Philemon, forgive him and take him back as a more useful slave. And he upheld that in the letter to the Colossians. In the letter to the Ephesians, it's helpful to read chapter 6, verse 5, Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men-pleasers, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. If you're a Christian slave, you're not only a slave to your master, you're a slave to Christ. No more eye service, meaning you only do what He can see you do to please Him. Now you please the Lord in everything you do. Go back, Onesimus, go back to Philemon and be a far more useful slave to your master and do it as unto the Lord Himself. He was useful, not just to Philemon, Paul says at the end of verse 11, but to me, to me. He had been with Paul. We don't know how long. He is now living up to his name. He is a totally new person. And verses 12 to 14 tell us he had been proven faithful. Let's follow the text. I've sent him back to you in person. That is sending my very heart. Along with, as I said, Tychicus, to go along with uh, Onesimus, they brought back the letter to Philemon and the letter to the church in Colossae, which met in his house. And Paul says about him, I'm sending my very heart. My very heart. It's actually the word in the Greek for bowels, the, the inside, strong emotional feeling Paul had for this man. We wish we knew more about him. This is the only place he's ever mentioned this useful. If that was his nickname, we don't know what his real name was. This criminal, Phrygian, runaway slave had become faithful, and he had become useful to Paul, so useful that Paul would rather have had him stay to minister to him in his imprisonment. Amazing to think that this man could minister to the great apostle Paul. In sending him, he was literally sending his heart. Paul knows this, this Onesimus. He knows his character. He knows the transformation. He knows his faithfulness. And in verse 13, he says, "...whom I wish to keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel." There's a tender phrase there, "...so that on your behalf..." He might minister to me. What do you mean that in your behalf? Again, he affirms the gracious, loving character of Philemon. He's so tender with this man. He's assuming that if Philemon knew how much Onesimus meant to him, if Philemon knew how important Onesimus had become to Paul, 
if Philemon knew the suffering Paul was in and how he was strengthened by this man Onesimus, Philemon would have wanted him to stay. Philemon would have wished him to stay. Philemon might have insisted that he stay in Rome and act as Philemon's own gift to Paul to do what Philemon would have done for Paul if he could have. It's beautifully expressed. Who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and me, whom I wish to keep with me, verse 13, so that on your behalf he might minister to me, which is to say, I know you want to minister to me, and I know, I believe, if you had a choice, you'd have told him, stay with Paul. But without your consent, verse 14, without your consent, I didn't want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. Paul again mentions his imprisonment. He rattles his chains again for the fourth time in this brief letter. Paul takes the high ground and says, I, I know your goodness. He rehearsed it in verses 4, 5, 6, and 7. I didn't want to presume on your goodness. I, I, I didn't want your goodness to be taken for granted. I didn't want your goodness to be the only option by compulsion. I'm sending him back because I truly believe in the nobility of your spiritual life. I believe you are a man whom God has made righteous. And so I wouldn't presume to keep him here without your consent, as it were, by compulsion. But I want you to have the choice of your own free will. There's something beautiful here. Paul puts Philemon in a position where he makes the sacrifice. This is so wonderful. Philemon is the one that's been offended. Philemon needs to be the one who rises above the offense and shows that he also has been transformed as Onesimus has. Philemon needs to make this choice out of the, the God-given goodness of his own heart. He needs to make it as an act of his sanctified will. And he needs to be the one, if it's going to happen, who says, I will sacrifice him for you. There's something so wonderful about discipling people in such a way that you put them in the position to demonstrate their goodness. If you try to disciple people by controlling everything they do, they never have the opportunity to demonstrate their goodness. They never have the opportunity to make a sacrifice if, if they're trapped in a situation where all they can do is what you tell them to do. If I've learned anything through the years and years of leadership, I have learned that the best way to lead is to assume the best out of everyone and to tell them that you want them to put that spiritual goodness on display. You speak to them not out of authority, but you speak to them out of love. And you ask them to do what their own sanctified heart 
compels them to do, to display their own goodness so that people can see their goodness and their virtue. And you give them the opportunity to make sacrifices so that goodness is on display. Paul wants Philemon to receive Onesimus in love. Reconcile the broken relationship. That's step one. Step two. This is important. First step, reconcile the relationship. Second step, restore to service. Restore to service. He says back in verse 11, He is now useful to you and to me. But notice verse 15. For perhaps He was for this reason separated from you for a while that you would have Him back forever. Paul doesn't mitigate the guilt of Onesimus. He doesn't. But what Paul does say is, consider, listen carefully, the providence of God. Consider the providence of God. You meant it for evil, Onesimus. God meant it for good, Genesis 50, 20. Consider the providence of God. God is always triumphing over sin by His providential power and grace. Think about it. He may have been useful to you. He became useless to you so that God could bring Him back. And now He is not merely a slave able to minister on a temporal level and serve on a temporal level. He is a brother able to serve on a spiritual level. He is far more useful because of the powerful providence of God. I love the fact that in verse 15 he uses the word perhaps because no one can pull the curtain aside. He says perhaps because no one can look behind the curtain and see the secret movement of God. Perhaps is a fair way to say it. Perhaps, even though such things are secret and known only to God, it is a reasonable assumption, especially for an inspired writer, to say God allowed it and then God overruled it. It was a temporary separation to lead to an eternal union. A temporary separation to lead to an eternal union. Typically, what Onesimus had done would have generated uh, irreparable damage to the trust of Philemon. But where God is at work, all that goes away. He comes back, verse 16, no longer as a slave, merely. This is not a call for emancipation. This is not a call to Philemon to set him free. Not at all. Because we just read Colossians 3, slaves obey your masters. Listen to the language of 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 22. For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freed man. Likewise, he who was called while free is Christ's slave. There's never a call for emancipation. If you were called 
savingly. If you were saved as a slave, you're still a slave, but you're the Lord's free man. Conversely, if you were called as a free man, you have now become Christ's slave. To put it simply for Onesimus, he was Philemon's slave in an earthly sense and Christ's slave in a heavenly sense. He is more than a slave. More, not just a slave, but more than a slave. In Colossians 3, again, using that book particularly because it was in the hand of Tychicus, right there handed to Philemon, verse 11 of chapter 3, it says, There is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man. Christ is all and in all. He comes back socially, uh, as far as social structure goes, he comes back as your slave. That was a workable relationship, an economic relationship in ancient times that no Bible character tried to overturn. Our Lord didn't do it, neither did the apostles. But now he's not just someone who is a slave to you. And by the way, slave conjures up in most people's minds horrible things. Not so in that setting. A slave was like a family member, part of the family, cared for, loved by the family. If you have any more questions about that, get the book I wrote called Slave, and uh, all of it is explained there. But he is not just a slave. He is now a beloved brother, beloved brother. It is time for you to acknowledge him as your brother. Listen to Titus 2.9. I urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything. Slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything. Well-pleasing, not argumentative, not stealing, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. It fell to slaves to be good slaves who were believers so they could adorn the doctrine of God. We're not talking about chains and whips. We're talking about an employment relationship in which someone was cared for, protected, and paid, and supplied, and nurtured by a family. It was that kind of slavery that became the pattern for our relationship to our Lord Jesus Christ. So he comes back, and I want you to receive him back, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave Verse 16, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord, as one who serves you physically and one who will serve you spiritually. So what do we do in this work of forgiveness? First, there is reception to relationship. Then there is restoration to usefulness ministry. There's a third step, restitution for wrong. Restitution. Come down to verses 17 and 18. If then you regard me a partner, a koinonon, a fellow sharer, if you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. 
there needed to be restitution. Whatever Philemon had lost, whatever it cost him to go buy somebody else to do the work that Philemon did, whatever he had to spend to replenish whatever he had stolen. Paul says, if, if I'm a fellow sharer with you, if we're in spiritual fellowship together, accept him as you would me. Treat him as if it were me. Welcome him. Forgive him as if you were forgiving me. Accept him as if you were accepting me. And then this marvelous verse 18, if he's wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Restitution is always the final component of forgiveness. Onesimus must show his genuineness by being willing to repay, willing to restore. But Onesimus doesn't have anything with which to do that. How's he going to pay the debt? He has no resources to pay the debt. In the letter to the Colossians, again, chapter 3, verse 25, he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong he has done, and that without partiality. He had done wrong. There had to be some consequences. Restitution had to be made. Onesimus had no ability to make that restitution. The one forgiven must be willing to make restitution, to make his offense right. Like the prodigal who came home and musing to himself, he said, um, I'll go home and, and I'll work for my father and I'll, I'll, I'll earn back everything that I took and wasted. It never happened because the father, you remember, embraced him in grace. There were in Israel laws of restitution. The Old Testament laid them out. Justice demanded, justice deserved full restitution. But in order to make this relationship complete, since Onesimus couldn't pay, somebody had to pay in his place. This is a Christ-like act, isn't it, on the part of Paul? Christ paid the debt for us. Paul pays the debt for Onesimus. Here Paul offers himself as the substitute to pay Onesimus' debt. This is Paul, in a Christ-like way, bringing together the last part of the restored relationship between Philemon and Onesimus. This is exactly what Christ does for us. We have a debt we can't pay. He pays our debt to restore us to God. This is Christ-like, and I say what I said at the beginning of the series, you are never more like Christ than when you what? Forgive. What a picture of Christ. Now there's one section left for next week. Let's bow in prayer. What a wonderful and blessed day we've had together in Your Word, Father. We're so deeply grateful for all its truth, its insight, its instruction. We are so rich. We are the richest of the rich because we know You, the true and living God, and Your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ.
And we live in knowledge that is provided for us through the revelation of Scripture authored by the Holy Spirit who lives in us as our teacher, our guide. We're so blessed to know the truth, to know You, to know wisdom and understanding regarding Your plan, plan of redemption in the world. May we have opportunity even this week, Lord, to proclaim this truth to many around us so that they can come to know the full forgiveness and full reconciliation that sinners can have with You because their sins are put to the account of Christ. We see the beauty of the Gospel even in Paul's loving gesture. Give us a wonderful evening together. We thank You that we can enjoy so many rich blessings and make this evening one of them, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. You've been listening to John MacArthur, Bible teacher with Grace to You. For free access to all of John's lessons and a listing of study Bibles and books available for sale, visit Grace to You's website, gty.org. And for details about the Masters University where John serves as president, go to masters.edu. John MacArthur and Grace to You reserve all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available at gty.org and includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating this digital file. That was from John Carter again called Beauty and Blessing of Forgiveness Part 2. And see, now I'm going to do some, so we've got some new music for you from Shylan. You know that it's Reform Raptor, so it's Reform Rapping, in case you don't know. And the song I'm going to play for you is called, where is it? Uh, this one's called One Day, here on Trippy Tori. Thinking how does one define wise Feels like yesterday I was a newcomer Fresh in the game, ready to make the truth thunder But as the beat plays, they lose wonder After a few summers, the band's ready for a new drummer Doesn't matter if you're not ready yet Yesterday I was a cadet, now they call me a vet But it's part of common sense that the artist time will end To the young, this topic can be hard to comprehend they don't come close to understanding How you can go from most demanded To abandoned in the ocean stranded Surrounded by the waves of your weariness Some things you only learn from age and experience And it's plain to me that all the famous men you see The time is coming when they will be a faded memory Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah What in the world was your mind thinking? You couldn't see the sand of time sinking Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah Better plan for the future, kid Time catches up to everyone, no matter who yeah. it is Whatever happened to so-and-so, that's what they wanna know Eventually we learn that they all come and go Today's rising star, tomorrow dies with scars Today they all struck, tomorrow you washed up 
I remember watching Jordan's Hall of Fame speech Thinking this is what it's like to watch the lame reaching gas But he tries to grasp what lies in the past Never to return what lies in the past Did he tell himself, was he lost or sober? Did he know it was all but over? The moment that AI crossed him over If I could be like, didn't include dying light Let's shine the light on the one they call Iron Mike Nowadays he's known for being all weird But back in 88, nobody was more feared the peak of his powers. His opponents would retreat in moments he would eat and devour. Snuffed with punches, but we must discuss this. Crushed it just enough to trust his toughness. Pride brings us to justice. You puffed up with smugness? You gonna meet Buster Douglas. Amazing that, which blazed like petrol. The new praise that made the waves in the metro. Was praised for days, but just a phase like retro. And fades like echoes. Echoes, echoes, echoes. Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah What in the world was your mind thinking? You couldn't see the sand of time sinking Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah Better plan for the future, kid Time catches up to everyone, no matter who it is What I'm speaking on is seriously welcomed by the few Even no experience to tell you that it's true On your radio station, this won't be found on the playlist Wisdom, the sound of the stages, resounding for ages The older I get, I notice it The whole of the script, hmm, it's found in the pages A holy writ, not the cash speech of the reverend But what a man sees under heaven Ecclesiastes 111 No matter who you are, death aims to stop you Whether banker, doctor, or Frank Sinatra Before your time is done, meet the timeless one The dying, death-defying, rising, shining sun King Jesus astounds and amazes He pounded the pavement to save those who were bound to their cages So let us praise the one who made the Everglades Our debt was paid, so in glory we'll never fade Never fade, never fade Father only. 
Now, some will try to walk back their predictions by saying something like, well, that's just the day the end starts. That might not be the actual day of Jesus' return, but it's a significant day for something. But they don't know that either, for Jesus also said, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Therefore, be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Turn from your sin, worship Christ the Lord, and obey His commandments in the Bible. And on the day that you stand before Him in judgment, you were born again ready when we understand the text. About his return, Jesus told his disciples, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Now, if Jesus is divine, why didn't he know when he'd return? That's kind of a problem, right? How can we say that Jesus is the all-knowing, all-powerful God, one with the Father, if there's something he didn't know? Well, when Jesus, who is very God and very man, said not even the Son knows, only the Father, he spoke from his humanity, not his divinity. Philippians 2, 6 through 8 says that, Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus, who is God, willingly emptied himself and took on human flesh, and he accepted the limitations of being human. He grew hungry and tired, was tempted, experienced sorrow. For crying out loud, he was put to death. The creator of the universe willingly laid down his own life, so we shouldn't be surprised there were things he gave up knowing in submission to his father. Hebrews 2.17 says, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. He has since ascended back to the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. We read at the start of Revelation that the father has revealed to him what must soon take place when we understand the text. That is when we understand the text, also known as what? W-W-U-T-T. So it's W-W-U-T when we understand text. And now from Shyland, Random Thoughts 3, here on Truth Victoria. Yeah. Soli Deo Gloria. <laughs> it's like deja vu, right? Yo, I'm back, but nobody was asking where I've been Cause Christ in the music is no longer the hot trend Logic says, well maybe I should just stop then But I never got into this for a spot in the top ten I do this for one reason, Jesus the true king, son To help God's elect obey Hebrews 3.1 And though the rap world is ever crowded If heaven allows it, I'll keep writing for the 7,000 I know you out there, I still get the emails Against the church of Christ, the gates of hell will never prevail It's founded on the rock, and the gospel never stops So we dropping the topic, whether it's popular or not Sin is not just toxic And the clock is going to stop God is not to be boxed With the wrath of God is burning hot We were locked in sin's closet Our conflict was cosmic God plotted to stop it Hit the demonic with a shot I was copping narcotics Agnostic with a plot No optic for the knowledge Of the God who often knocked Jesus rocked me with the gospel And it tied me up in knots So I hopped in a rocket And met the prophet at the top Yo That's just another way of saying I met God in the scriptures But we just going to let that breathe For a second You know what I mean The Bible says He was forgiven much Loves much we gonna talk about BC a little bit My depravity was total, not small like pops I was chained to sin, I couldn't take 
take off the locks. I thought I was a player, a match with the flavor. Say so I know what the time is, but I ain't bet Isaiah. I would chuckle daily as I paid for disgrace. My eyes were always puffy like I got sprayed with mace. I would toot my horn at parties, and I would do bars. Got so intoxicated, I was ready to do Mars. Notorious for acting pretty silly in my city, Philly. Friends hear about it and be like, whoa, did he really? Because I played dirty, Bill Lambeer style. Through great mercy, spirit-filled and dear child. Went from so gritty to headed to a gold city. In Christ I shine, the world's like no biggie. Whatever time to sing, I'm putting faith on the song. 112 displayed in John, the way to respond. When his patience runs out, then it's time for the ride, man. Microwave, wrath of God, fam. That's why, because of Christ, I got mad joy. All I'm saying is I used to be a bad boy. But nowadays, I'm regenerated, born again from above, fam. How else can I say that? Went from various vices to a kid that's married to Christ, using literary devices to spit it very precise. My conversion to the master was so dramatic. I just wanted to be an ambassador or fanatic. The gospel was my tonic. With Christ, I couldn't lose. But to walk with God like Enoch, I knew I couldn't cruise. This walk is a beast, but nothing's greater than the cross. Saw the mark of the east and the raiders of the laws. While power records were choosing to carry G-Unit, I was on that revolutionary theme the brothers from the Lou held it down as well But we noticed a big shift in 2012 Around the time Jackie asked me about Calvinism Christian hip-hop found a different algorithm And crossed over without taking the crossover Made us all sober years later, is it all over? Trip asked me if I was still motivated I was quiet, but I wanted to say no, I hate it Cause brothers in your camp causing lots of confusion I love them as brothers in Christ, but not their conclusions They want to reach the world by all means, keep pursuing it But tell me why they got it this the church while they doing it that's what i wanted to say but i ain't say it though but no more laying low i want them to play it slow and i ain't dissing them my prayers are the proof like boaz without ruth is unity without truth chh is like gorillas in the mist with no brotherly love it's like philly don't exist what's happening here it's a different atmosphere cats appear most concerned about a rap career brothers overseas being slain in the sand while we're vain in our plan taking fame and some fans and i ain't got time to philosophize satan got a plot Device. I'm seeing lots of guys apostatize. On top of all that, Donald Trump's the president. It's all good though, cause Jesus Trump's the president. So more than ever, I'm trying to rep the Lord who bled. And we ain't never gonna stop. Word to Corey Red. I'm just trying to give a healthy demonstration of theocentric music for the selfie generation. See, the problem is sin, no riddle in it. Cause all sin got I in the middle of it. We're mad, depraved, and truly evil. We need to be born again without a Matt Damon movie sequel. In the gospel, God is Stresses are depravity, the lamb slain at Calvary, the depths of his agony. He rose from the grave with the funding grace, and when we come in faith, he'll bring us up from the sunken place. Our sins, decrepit depths, left the mess, no rest was left till Jesus put death to death. The beauty of the victory truly is a mystery. The cross of Jesus Christ is at the nucleus of history. Before the cross, they were saved on credit. After the cross, we've been saved on debit. Since our champion in the great war suffered, we gon' proclaim his death like the Lord suffered. So welcome to the Still Jesus Project, yo, we just getting started and we got a lot left. Hey yo, they said it was over, man. They said it was over. But it ain't over. We just getting started. Yo, 7,000, we all at. Let's go! Stand up, hands up. If you truly love the Son of Man, trust. Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive and his fame is going to spread across the land. What's up? Stand up, hands up. Does anybody love the Son of Man? Trust. Jesus is the King, so his people we will sing and forever say, worthy is the Lamb. What's up? Surprise, no 
knowledge and strategies confound the academy. Bow to his majesty, he paid sin salary, took our blame on Calvary. Those who love his name spread his fame into policy. All eyes on the mattress price of his sacrifice. That's prize our master Christ and rise in the afterlife. What, did we forget about the holiness of God or something? Did we forget that God owes us a rod or something? See the snake bruise when Christ came to save dudes who hate truth. The gospel is not fake news. I got to sin, the gospel sweeter than it's ever been. Ain't nothing changed, let us sin, we got the medicine. It's still human emergency, the serpent attack. You think Jesus can't save? That's alternative facts. Stand up, hands up. If you truly love the Son of Man, trust. Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive. And his fame is going to spread across the land. What's up? Stand up, hands up. Does anybody love the Son of Man? Trust. Jesus is the King, so his people we will sing. And forever say, worthy is the Lamb. What's up? Stop and listen to my composition. Lots of rhythm, but not traditional, kind of different. But God's consistent, no contradiction, my proposition. Through crucifixion, he mocked and crippled his opposition. It's not some fiction, I'm spitting, the Son of God is risen. And my incentive for godly living is I'm forgiven. Jesus came to unlock the prison. And through the Spirit, he brings a new birth like an obstetrician. At times I listen, a lot of Christian hip-hop is missing. The proposition is my suspicion, we drop the mission. Not to this, but the Word of God, is it not sufficient? The doctrine is that the gospel fixes. Is our shot condition. God the Spirit supplies conviction through proper diction. Against the backdrop of our tradition, the gospel glistens. A squad of Christians go out and witness a God's commission. Cause Jesus Christ got the top position, no competition. Stand up, hands up. If you truly love the Son of Man, trust. Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive. And his fame is going to spread across the land. What's up? Stand up, hands up. Does anybody love the Son of Man? Trust. Jesus is the King, so his people we will sing and forever say worthy is the Lamb. What's up? They want Jesus in the background like elevator music, but we gon' celebrate him, relegate him, we refuse it. They hate Christian hip-hop, I peep myself. They say we too redundant, well let me repeat myself. What I gotta say almost feels too real estate. Sit back and feel the weight of what a real estate. Cause yo, Jesus Christ got me in the real estate. I'm purchased property, I feel like I'm real estate. If the Father wasn't gracious, no synonym. Again, he came straight blameless, no synonym. Again, nothing's been the same since, no synonym. Again, fakers lack his fragrance, no synonym. This is not the picture in a frame to still Jesus. Nah, we serve the rock, the harder than still Jesus. So how are we gonna be silent, let the world still Jesus? When the world and its trends pass away, it's still Jesus. Stand up, hands up. If you truly love the Son of Man, trust. Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive. And his fame is gonna spread across the land. What's up? Stand up, hands up. Does anybody love the Son of Man? Trust. Jesus is the King, so his people we will sing and forever say worthy is the Lamb. What's up? Worthy is the Lamb. What's up? Worthy is the Lamb. 
Let me start this off with a hallelujah to Jesus, the sovereign ruler. This is not a rumor. Got the truth, so we about to school you. Check out a style maneuver. Shout it to you like the loudest group of Christ. Put us up from out the sewer. We don't have to doubt the future. Crafting our verses as we bask in his worship. You asking the purpose, partly to snatch hats from the furnace. Through Jesus' extravagant service, immaculate purchase. He was smashing the serpent, and we only scratching the surface. He's the seed that was conceived in the womb of a virgin. The sun emerges in the manger while the angels serenade him. It's the birth of the Savior. The great I am became a man, came as a lamb, and would be executed to execute the plan to substitute the sand. In the place of the wicked on the cross, he was lifted, but we considered him stricken and afflicted, just like the prophets predicted. He came at the proper moment to stop his opponent and lay down his life to offer atonement. He's the most magnificent, the total antithesis of insufficient, the blessed, the glorious, splendid, transcendent, difficult to comprehend, independent of space and time, but presently present, suspending the heavens with speech. From coast to coast, he speaks peace to wind and seas, got heavenly hosts, he's Posted on bended knees, controls the cosmos with the most authority. So we both in the most exalted King Christ the Priest. He's the sovereign thriller, the awesome healer, the law fulfiller, the solemn killer, the fraud revealer. No God is realer, yeah. When you're taking your time in the scripture, put the gate into prominent picture. See his light shining bright in the night and it's frightening the might in the dominant mixture. See his name at all the renown, though. When he came for the loss and he found low, he was tamed in floss all around, but remained for the manger, the cross, or the crown. Yo, Satan had a choke hold on him. Fight for the rope, but doping in. All to the eyes of the S to the E to the end, that's what we hoping in. Risen on his spell check, the risen king can rinse clean the most rebellious. I was hellbound, now I'm spellbound. Word is born, I'm a bond servant to the word of life. Uh, call me a sellout, I was bought with a price. We got a hope that won't fail us when we return to the dust. We will rise up just like the one who justified us. It's not wishful thinking when the truth's sinking. We are clinging to the promises that God bringing an everlasting kingdom. Nothing can compare to the worth of what we inherited. Nothing in heaven on earth can measure what Christ merited. The skies declare the affairs of his glorious care. The God who is there, who's aware, who delights in our prayer. His purposes are permanent and perfectly proportionate. Everything that orbits around his glory subordinate. He is the most excellent one. Intrinsic, infinite son. Preeminent the name par excellence. Prenom phenomenon. He's beyond phenomenon. You see the fiber of cosmology. The abba of astronomy. He's potter. We are pottery. It's shocking Jesus died for me. The father he adopted me and constantly provides for me. Whether or not I got degrees. You gotta see his odyssey. From sovereignty and lottery to poverty and robbery to resurrection. Bodily apocalyptic prophecy He's stopping all the mockery And scholarly snobbery That don't acknowledge him properly You ought to be on bended knee Before the preeminent It's awfully arrogant To reject him to your detriment Study the development From Old and New Testament You'll find a theme that's prevalent From age to age it's relevant Crisis on its center stage Forget religious sentiments The center on man But something less is what you're settling He is the most excellent Exercising benevolence And blessing a remnant With the benefits of his inheritance yeah. Listen to sinners that Separated and segregated That severed the relations Between man and his maker And placed Christ on his costly cross And compensated his life, death and resurrection Emancipated and gave us Freedom from it all Freedom from the effects of the fall Freedom from Adam and Eve In the garden of Eden And from the law So the saints stand and applaud His grace and glorious cause With hands raised Praising his name Singing glory to God <laughs> Shut in with stand up and now I'll play something from 
what the VWUTT when we understand the text here on Tributory. Romans 4, 5 says, To the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Justification by faith alone is the gospel, the belief that we are forgiven our sins and made innocent before God by the atoning blood of Christ and his resurrection from the grave. You can do nothing to earn this. It is by the grace of God. Whoever teaches that salvation is a combination of faith and works is teaching a different gospel. The Catholic and Orthodox churches both deny justification by faith alone. Salvation is by faith in the Eucharist or by faith in baptism. That's a different gospel. Galatians 1, 8 and 9 says that anyone who preaches a different gospel is accursed. Galatians 2.16 says we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. Now when a person has been saved, they confirm their faith by obedience. If they do not obey the commands of Christ, they're still dead in their sins. This is what James meant when he said, faith without works is a dead faith. Now someone might say, well what about faith? Isn't that something that I do? Nope, because as you study the Bible, you find that even faith itself is a gift from God. As Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, when we understand the text. And now, I'm going to do another one from Shiland. This is called Turn It Off here on Tributory. Let's take it back to the foundation. Jesus Christ's impact and his salvation. I'm talking about Calvary, where his blood was lost. I'm talking the reality of the rugged cross. I'm talking about death, burial, and resurrection. I'm talking about reconciliation and election. Yeah, I'm repetitive because we're slow learners. Just that truth music. I am a sojourner. Reporting to you live from the wilderness. We strive on the pilgrimage. Alive because he's building his tribes in the villages. Revive us in villas with eyes diligent for our rival who pillages. Because he prowls around like a roaring lion. But he's surely dying before the Lord is dying. Defeat one was the cross, soon comes another loss. Trust in Jesus, the ultimate undercover boss. Hey yo, if you don't want the gospel, yo, turn this off. You wanna hear a bunch of mumbling? Turn this off. You want misogyny and guns? Yo, turn it off. You got to turn it off, man. You got to turn it off. You want Jesus on the low? Yo, turn this off. You want me bragging about my flow? Yo, turn it off. You want what's on the radio? Yo, turn this off. You got to turn it off, man. You got to turn it off. I know it's been a while since I've been making songs. Some people even say, shy, yo, why you take so long? Sorry if you felt abandoned or hurt, but music took a back seat because we planted a church. How have I been? Thanks for asking. I can't complain. God is good. I've been enjoying my wife, enjoying fatherhood. I'm trying to think long-term sustainable. By God's grace, fruit when I'm gone is still attainable. I want to see new births and bound kids free. What good is making many waves if it tends to fade? I'm trying to produce works that outlive me. So God can use my pen to save when I'm in the grave. Writing this flying over the Atlantic. I just can't help but think about the Titanic. I preach Christ because many without hope will drown. This world is exactly like the boat. It's going down. Hey, yo, if you don't want the gospel, yo, turn this off. You want to hear a bunch of mumbling? Turn this off. You want misogyny and guns? Yo, turn it off. You got to turn it off, man. You got to turn it off. You want Jesus 
on the low, yo, turn this off. You want me bragging about my flow, yo, turn this off. You want what's on the radio, yo, turn this off. You got to turn it off, man, you got to turn it off. Hey yo, it feels like the days of Noah This world is post-Christian, the glory days are over Cats thirsty for the fame and with sell So they babble as they try to make a name for themselves They're shallow with mirth, they try to flex and rebel But what you swallow on earth will be digested in hell It's so profound, you joke around, you get broken down By Christ who holds the crown and sees through you like an ultrasound He's the reason I write a piece of advice Trust Jesus to Christ, no matter your season of life Believe God and His promise, serve with fervor Before He plays the dishonest third shift Worker, a thief in the night, Jesus the light of the world, he's our delight, the reason that believers are hype, he won't leave us despite our previous life, the deviant type, by God's grace get immediate sight. Hey yo, if you don't want the gospel, yo, turn this off. You wanna hear a bunch of mumbling? Turn this off. You want misogyny and guns? Yo, turn this off. You got to turn it off, man. You got to turn it off. You want Jesus on the low? Yo, turn this off. You want me bragging about my flow? Yo, turn it off. You want what's on the radio? Yo, turn this off. You got to turn it off, man. You got to turn it off. Yeah, I mean, shout out to all my Christian soldiers repping Jesus Christ on the front lines. Big Juice, what up? Bless Nazarite, I see you. Yo, Eshan, what up, man? Jackie Hill Perry, keep rapping them, sis. No matter what, keep rapping them. Keep rapping them. Where did Cain get his wife? This is Ken Ham, president of the Apologetics Ministry of Answers in Genesis. I've been asked many times where Cain got his wife. Scripture never explicitly tells us, but it's easy to figure out from what Scripture does tell us. We know Adam and Eve were the first people, so Cain's wife couldn't have come from anyone else. Genesis tells us Adam and Eve had other sons and daughters, so Cain must have married his sister, or maybe his niece. But isn't this incest? Well, God didn't forbid close relations marrying until the time of Moses, hundreds of years later. And it wasn't a problem originally because the human genome was created perfect. It wasn't until after sin that mistakes started piling up in our DNA. So today it's dangerous for close relations to marry. Get answers to other common questions about the Bible when you visit AnswersRadio.com. You can also see a full transcript of this program at our website, AnswersRadio.com. The Biblical Literacy Epidemic. This is Ken Ham, and our life-size ark is drawing huge crowds in northern Kentucky. Biblical illiteracy is growing in our churches. Only half of Christians can name all four Gospels, and nearly half believe the Golden Rule is one of the Ten Commandments. People in our churches simply don't know what the Bible teaches. You know, this explains in part why so many unbiblical beliefs are creeping into the church. So-called Christian books and leaders teach things that contradict Scripture, and many in the church just lap them up. Parents, it's your God-given responsibility to teach your children God's Word. We're to teach it to our kids when we sit, rise, walk, and lie down. In other words, all the time. Don't pass the job off to the church. Teach your kids God's Word. Listen to this program again or view a complete transcript at AnswersRadio.com and sign up for free daily email insights from Ken Ham when you go to AnswersRadio.com.
In creation, we can see your design trace. But since the fall, this world is such an unkind place. With crime pace, seeking the devil's wine taste. In my case, I was just on a blind chase. A mind waste, trapped in my asinine ways. But Christ braced himself, entered into time space. The vine breaks, so the branches could find grace. When light's rays hit the soul, the paradigm shakes. Sublime race, run at a predefined pace. Now me and Jesus are closer than intertwined lace. And by faith, we behold his divine face. So as we're lifting up our praise to you, receive it, Lord. The object of our affection, whom we adore. Falling in our misery, you daughter into history. The pardon of iniquity, startling the mystery. The ocean, the plains, mountains, the rain. Universe proclaims the glory of your name. And what am I that you called me to your side? And took this out of stone and broke it open wide.
Shed Radio with Todd Friel. Really super cool news for a couple of reasons. This is Wretched Radio. Have you heard the news? 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation coming up very uh, quickly. It's going to be here soon. And the good people at NRB TV, they are going to be airing our Reformation celebration with Dr. Steve Lawson, Phil Johnson, and the Masters University Choir. Wait until you hear and see that. It's going to be a bomb diggity. Just received an email from Bob at NRB TV. His name is actually Bob. This, this is not just your, you know, let's just say Bob. Now, this is an actual Bob. It's going to be airing prime time on October 31st and November 1st. Very, very grateful to those folks. And the reason that that's good news, we're excited that they trust us enough to put this special on TV. Second of all, it's a reminder, the folks at NRB TV, they're good folks. There are some networks out there, and we're on a number of them, that are trying hard. A lot of them, let's, let's, just, let's just face it, dreck. Not all of them. And NRB TV, one of the good guys, so be encouraged. And uh, be tuning in to NRB TV October 31st and November 1st. You can see the Reformation celebration. It is going to be the bomb diggity. Saw the show opening, the graphics. Uh, we've already done the interviews. Phil Johnson was in studio with us. And he just, as always, knocked it out of the park. By the way, speaking of Phil Johnson, uh, that Wanderer will be back at the office, which means we're going to be returning to Too Wretched for Radio. If you're not familiar with that, it's simply because, well, you're probably new to the program because we're now on iTunes, Android, all that stuff. And Phil Johnson usually joins us every week to discuss stuff we can't air on radio or we'd get kicked off. So it's called Too Wretched for Radio. He's just been traveling a ton, doing a lot of speaking on the Reformation. We had him in studio. He spoke on the Reformation Steve Lawson is going to be in here next week in studio recording his bit, and then we're going to put that thing together with the Masters University Choir, Wa and La. It is a Reformation celebration on NRB-TV. Looking forward to it a ton. It is time now for me to be afraid. of the old toll-free. You can call it anytime you want to. A voicemail standing by. You can leave your question, comment, conundrum, or snark, but please remember, don't leave any profanities on it. one 282 beep It's always a little, a little scary when you do. Hi. Just wanted to say I love that trip lead. It's yeah. wonderful. I'm a grandma. Ah. Old enough to be a grandma. And I love them. Thanks so much for putting them on. Yeah, I'm so glad that you called. If you missed that Trip Lee sermon, uh, you can well, you can find it in the archives now if you want to. Uh, we just we just aired it on TV. That'll probably be posted on the Wretched.org website also. You know why you liked it, Grandma? Because we don't hear much preaching like that. Now I gotta tell you, Trip Lee, he's a rapper fellow. You know the that that yeah, I I could be myself, but I chose to do this instead. He's young. Very cool, but he also there's two there were two things about him that kind of captured my attention. Number one, he was theologically sound, and you don't hear a lot of preaching that labored that long on sin. 
he was at least he was he was making his way in an expository fashion. You know, not not deep expository because he had ten verses to cover. But nevertheless, he was guided by the Bible. It wasn't. Hey, here's our Bible verse. Now away I go with my thoughts. And he spent at least I think it was about twelve minutes talking about sin. And I think that's probably why you like that. I can't tell you the number of times that I've been to churches and. Uh, I'll talk about sin, because when you talk about sin a lot, it makes the work of Jesus look a lot greater. And then to rob people of, of, of preaching on the glories of Jesus is to downplay sin. That's the way that he looks great. Wow, he saved sinners? I mean, I get it, saving millionaires or pretty people. He saved sinners, rebels, haters, at war with God. Ah, that's an amazing savior. And regularly, people, older people, will approach me and say, I haven't heard a sermon like that in a long time. And I think that's the one reason that it maybe was a an enjoyable experience for you, Grandma. But the second thing, the kid's tone. He was hitting it hard. And yet you didn't think he was a jerk. I thought it was an excellent balance of speaking truth in love. Trip Lee was his name. You can go find it in the archives at wretched.org, the radio archives. I suspect if you just type in Trip, as in take one, and Lee, L-E-E, you can find that. And it'll soon be on the TV show. All of the archives, they're open. Why? Thanks to monthly supporters we used to call them wretched club members now they're gospel partners and their support their ongoing giving it has allowed us now to open up the archives why is it because we're flush with cash hold on one second <laughs> no it's not but our hope is more people will hear the gospel and in order to do that, we actually need more gospel partners. If you'd like to become one, wretched.org. Slash donate. Hey, Todd, to the guy who's yelling at his kid in the parking lot or wherever, I would simply say, hey, I'm sorry you're having a bad day. Maybe this will help. And I would offer him the million-dollar bill trap. Yeah, I, I, you know what? I agree, with, I, I agree with that. I was reading the Proverbs on that, and, I, and I was, I'm making my way through the Proverbs right now. And there was, there was something about you're a fool if you contend with a contentious man. And that might be the case. Nevertheless, we, we don't know definitively. And, and I'll tell you, an ounce of sugar, it, it, you, you, can, you can get a long way with somebody by approaching them, not with confrontation. Hey, 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 you want me to call the authorities? You want me to talk to you like that, mean dad with your kid at the gas station? Instead, to approach in some sort of kind way because you're concerned about the child, yes, but you're also concerned about dad. Remember, when you see something like that, think of it more in terms of a sin rescue mission because that's what you're dealing with. And if that is your motivation, you'll probably do it lovingly, and it might go a long way. Hey, Todd, I just wanted to say that you totally dropped the ball when it came to the NFL. You didn't even say or mention the word racism which is what the whole thing is about. See, the thing about it is everybody's looking at the flag, everybody's looking at the anthem, but the reason that Colin Kaepernick kneels, the reason why he's hurting, as you said, is because our country is right with racism. Okay, now, let me respond to that, sir. I, I, would, I would simply lovingly ask you that rife with racism, if that's the case, Every Christian would want to know that. So I would appreciate a phone call back 
and please substantiate that claim. You could be totally right. I'm just asking you to do so because that's a big sweeping accusation. And I actually get caught in that accusation, and I have to confess to you, not nuts about that. So if you would be so kind to substantiate that with some sort of evidence beyond anecdotal. Second of all, my my issue on this and the diatribe to which that he's speaking was really, sir, I, I think you would agree more of a call out for us to be considerate of those to, to go, okay, wait a second, right, wrong, or indifferent, clearly they're upset. I should care about that. Even if I disagree, I care about that, so I'm willing to listen. So that that presentation I did, I thought was leaning more toward understanding than drawing lines. Now, what do I think about injecting the racism issue into the kneelers at, 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 the, at the NFL games? My response to it, and you can correct me on this, I'm just telling you what I think. I think that you're using the wrong um, communication. You're sending... You're going after the wrong thing to make your point. Now, for instance, let me, let me, let me try to substantiate that with, with two examples of that. Number one, let's just say, now please just bear with me with this, this, this scenario. Let's just say that I had an issue with mm, taxes in this country, that I, I didn't like the tax system. I didn't like the death tax, let's just say. that I, I don't know what it is anymore. It used to be, I think, if, if you were left $600,000 or more, uh, the government took a big chunk out of that. I think that used to be the law. I don't know what it is now. Nevertheless, I don't like it. I think that if the person who's dead pay taxes on it, they pay taxes on it, shouldn't have to pay taxes on it again. It's their money to give away. What does kneeling down in, in, in some sort of, 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 of defiance of the country, what does that have to do with it? It, it? The message that gets sent from that is, I don't like the country, as opposed to, I don't like the taxes. I don't like the racism. I just don't think it's, I think you're going after the wrong thing and you're unnecessarily offending. And I, and I don't think that if that's your concern, that you're actually helping advance your case. Second of all, Consider the homosexual agenda, and I'm not trying to equate the two. They never did things like this. They won the argument a different way. They tried not to annoy people along the way. They tried to do it through, I think, faulty science, bad statistics, and some bad logic. Nevertheless, uh, they did it without making people feel like, what, do you hate this country? So bringing up race, happy to do that. Substantiate your claim and then consider is my doing that helping my case? Am I aiming at the right target? Or am I causing some people to get hits? This is Wretched Radio. Don't forget, if you would like to hear the entire daily broadcast, simply visit wretched.org, go to iTunes, figure out your favorite Android listening platform, and you can listen to the entire program every single day, downloaded to your listening device, for free. Well, thanks to our monthly supporters called the Gospel Partners. If you'd like to partner with us, we'd be very, very grateful. Simply visit wretched.org. Like I said, you can go to wretched.org for more information about that. And uh, their website, also wretched.tv. 
uh, check out the the free daily. Uh, I think it plays daily the show on there, and then also like I said, wretched.org. Then you can get the uh, whole show for free. Let's see. Okay, then play this from Astro and Just here on Tributary. No evolution in 700 million years? This is Ken Ham, inviting you to visit our popular full-size Noah's Ark. 700 million year old comb jellies look just like today's jellyfish, and 450 million year old horseshoe crabs look strikingly similar to modern ones. Ginkgo trees have changed very little over the years. How could all these, among many others, change so little in so much time? In an evolutionary view, the world went through major changes and extinctions over the course of supposed hundreds of millions of years. Yet these creatures, they didn't change much at all. The simplest solution is to trust God's word for the true history of the world. Everything was created, fully formed and functioning only a few thousand years ago. Want to know more about the major problems and challenges with evolutionary ideas? Visit our information-packed website at AnswersRadio.com. That's AnswersRadio.com. Lazarus Taxon. This is Ken Ham, a publisher of the award-winning family magazine called Answers. The so-called Lazarus group are creatures that disappear in the fossil record only to reappear later. Laotian rock rats were thought to have gone extinct 11 million years ago but were discovered at a meat market. Coelacanth fish were thought to have gone extinct 65 million years ago until they were rediscovered. If something vanishes from the fossil record, evolutionists assume it went extinct. But the Lazarus group call this timeline into question by proving it isn't accurate. So how can we explain this from a biblical perspective? Well, the Bible provides a simpler explanation. Creatures were buried during the global flood. It's not surprising if we find fossil creatures alive and well today. Learn about our full-size Noah's Ark at AnswersRadio.com and get more answers to common questions about science and the Bible when you visit us at AnswersRadio.com.
by Glowfish. And now I have another one by Glowfish. This one is called Kicking Old School here on Trophy Tory. We kick it old school. 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 Come on, come on, don't miss the latest craze. Hit it for a minute, then it's on to the next phase. Easy come, easy go, the marketers will hack it. The only change that comes.
and forget war trespassing. A few moments ago, something crashed into the south tower of the World Trade Center. But the world was from evil, the violence, the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This is my Father's world, and to my listening ears, all nature sings and round me rings the music of the Going down of the same, you 
that's it for the show. Uh, Till next time. Bye for now.